I'm Sarah Lomax, and I have spent uh, decades in Black media, right now in Black radio. Hi, I'm Mitra Kalida, and I've spent decades in newspapers and digital media, and right now in the land of newsletters, websites, and meeting people in real life, actually. And we are together because we are the co-founders of URL Media, which is a network of black and brown media outlets that share content and revenues so we can just have greater viability and sustainability across the ecosystem. But we're also here to chat about Origin, this amazing, uh, profound movie directed by Ava DuVernay. And I personally think we are two of the, the, the best people to talk about it because it is very much about looking at, uh, it's, it's, it's um, based on Isabel Wilkerson's book, uh, Cast, which reframes kind of racism and racial oppression um, under an umbrella of a much more broad framework of uh, caste. And she looks at, Isabel Wilkerson in the, in the book, looks at both the manifestation of caste in America, India, and in Germany as kind of three distinct examples of how racism, it's actually a much bigger issue when you frame it in caste. And so, you know, I'm Black American, you're Indian, and and we're both very steeped in our cultures. So I think that, you know, we we come to this movie, Origin, from um, really personal perspectives and experiences. What was your takeaway from, from Origin? Well, you were one of the first people I messaged, I think, after I saw it, because of exactly what you're describing, like kind of uh, this lens of Black and Brown. Right. I had read the book, so I, I do I do feel this like need to say I had a similar reaction to the book, which was quite euphoric and a lot of aha moments. And in some ways, I you know, I read the book in twenty twenty, that fall when you and I were kind of in phone calls all the time, setting up URL media. And the idea that not just that there could be a black and brown network, but there was a black and brown shared history. Like, I don't want to discount that actually reading the book as we were setting up URL played a role in it, even though I, I, I don't remember talking to you about it at the time. The movie, I have to say, I had, I confess, kind of only low expectations because I was like, how do you put a book like that that's so academic right. onto the big screen. So like, that's my, it wasn't the idea of the profoundness of it as, as you, as you articulated, but how do you show this? And that's why I text you. Cause I was so blown away at the creativity of it. Right. Like yeah. there's, there's the, there's the premise, which is profound and we'll dive into that, but it was also just beautiful. Yeah. And that was unexpected for me. It is a very hard book to read and digest because it's just so dense and it's heavy and but it's also revelatory. And that's what I was inspired by is just a different way of looking at something that just just obsesses the imagination of many black Americans is this this fixation on white supremacy and racism and the the racial caste system that black folks are at the bottom of in America. And so the the fact that she was able to bring a different perspective and different framing and different scholarship and different connecting points 
was just, it just blew my mind. And similarly, I, I, I agree, Mitra, the, the, the way that Ava DuVernay approached the film was absolutely mind-blowing because I, I was like, how is she going to turn this, this book into a Hollywood film? And to me, the, the, the way it started just broke my heart. I mean, I could start crying right now. It just broke my heart. She yeah. started with Trayvon Martin and um, and it was just, it just took me back to that moment. And I'll never forget because I have three sons. And when, when, when Trayvon was killed, everyone, every black mother was trying to have this conversation with their black sons. Like, we just need you to get home safe, you know? And, and I'll never forget my son, my middle son, and some of his friends were in a in my car and they were probably, I don't know, 12 or something. And what they said was, you know, I'm never wearing, I'm not wearing any hoodies. I'm not going to. And, and that was their takeaway from what happened to Trayvon. And I was like, yo, it's not about the hoodie. Like we can't solve this beat by you not wearing a hoodie. And it was just, it was just a heartbreaking way for the film. And it, it, unfolded from there but but to me that just I got a lump in my throat from like yeah the second like 30 seconds in I um I think the scene that scene I agree with you and then she weaves in you know of course the Barack Obama moment which we all recall of Trayvon Martin could have been my son right he could have been me like that that sort of resonance Wilkerson, when she wrote this book could not have planned what ended up happening right because she researched it before Trump became president. But there is this through line, I think, from her writing the book, The Rise of Donald Trump, and then Ava DuVernay insisting that this movie come out before the elections, right? And so for me, like that, because I had read a little bit about Ava DuVernay's um, struggle to even like get this movie made, which that's like something else that is kind of crazy to me that a woman of Ava DuVernay's caliber has to struggle with any artistic ambition she has. It's like, please give this woman all the money. She knows what she's doing, but that's another matter. I had read that she actually wanted this movie to come out before the elections, precisely to spark conversations in the in the realm that you and I are having this, right? And And to have that same reaction of like, did you see this? It kind of explains everything. And yeah. so to go from Barack Obama saying, you know, Trayvon Martin could have been my son, Trayvon Martin could have been me. Like we had a black president, we had Donald Trump, and now we don't know what the heck we're going to have. Like it feels like just like a sequence of events that keep running through my mind. Yeah. And I think that um, I think that the the rise and continue continued ascension of Donald Trump is so deeply connected to this almost biological fixation of caste and and this and the way she breaks it down into like all of these very scientific categories of how you reinforce this kind of system of subjugation of like uh, generational subjugation is really fascinating and when you read the book and you hear the detail, because obviously the the movie can only get into so much detail, but when you hear the detail and the many, many examples of how white supremacy and really like Anglo-Saxon supremacy in America was kind of baked into 
the fabric and like Italians and Irish, I mean, people who we all would agree are white now were considered a part of that lower um, caste system and were discriminated against. But, you know, there's something about Donald Trump and his appeal to people. And we always say, you know, it's, it's people who are voting against their own self-interest, white people who poor white people who Donald Trump's, you know, his um, policies and plans do not benefit them. They really don't. But there is this urgency and this addiction, I would even say, to being at a higher level than somebody black or brown, that we would align ourselves with someone, a millionaire, billionaire, whatever he is, who has no real, real interest in us other than to reinforce our power, his power. His power. And so I just think that it's, it, it is fascinating, the timing of, of this film. And I just hope more people see it because there were not a lot of people in the theater when I went to see it. I do feel like the downside of, you know, her funding this through Shannon Dupps. So DuVernay went turned to philanthropy to fund this, some tech um, CEOs and tech money. You know, the downside is it's not considered like Hollywood's film, right? And so I worry that it hasn't gotten that sort of blockbuster distribution network. I, I am grateful that I came to it through some like ethnic media channels. Um, in December, they had some screenings in New York City that a South Asian promoter I know had organized. I think they're still trying to do a lot of outreach um, among Black media. So I hope it gets out that way. You know, just, just coming back to what you said, there's a moment where she like literally takes a whiteboard. So it is a little still bit of like a nerdy movie, right? But she's like <laughs> on a whiteboard, like putting out the pillars of this idea of how you reinforce caste. And the one I remember was marriage because yes. I, of course, as uh, you know, my, my parents are Indian immigrants. I was raised Hindu, but my um, father is Buddhist. My father rejected a lot of like how he was raised and born, although he came of age also in Catholic schools. And then my mother, not a especially um, religious upbringing, but that's how I was raised. And even when you say oh, caste wasn't a big deal in my house, right? So like, I, and probably you would think that, Sarah, not that we've ever talked about this aspect of my identity, right. but like caste is allegedly not a big part of my upbringing. Nonetheless, every single one of my cousin's weddings, before the wedding, it is just known and definitely talked about, are they from the same caste? And in the cases where they're from the same caste, it's celebrated like, oh, he found someone who's the same as, and that's like mm. kind of a cause of pride. And so it wasn't until I lived in India in 2006 to 2009 that I realized all the ways caste actually has been reinforced in my life. And I've sp I'd spent like 30 years being like, caste is not a big deal in my family. And then I was like, oh, shit. Cast is a big deal in everybody's family. Um, mm -hmm. So that that scene where she lays out marriage, and then of course, in the black community, you know, such a part of, uh, of course, enslaved people's history was literally like litigating who they married, who they could be seen with. And then specifically, she talks about the relationship between black men and white women as something that was highly regulated in this version of the caste system. 
Um, so I had never put those two things together in quite the way that this idea forced me to, you know, marry it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that in terms of the black community and marriage, I mean, for, you know, for such a long time, black women and men did not have agency over their own bodies. And so marriage was, you know, was, it definitely existed, but there were so many ways that sexual, you know, abuse and rape and all of those things were used as a mechanism for control and, um, and punishment and disrupting and destroying families and everything. So I think that there is a, a very complex relationship with, with marriage. And then of course you have, um, the, 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 the fact that interracial marriage was illegal until, I don't know, there's, there's so much with that, but I was also thinking about the through line of anti-Semitism that also is very current right now in this conversation around, um, academic freedom and what can be done at universities. And we have Claudine Gay, who lost her job, and Liz McGill at, at, at University of Penn, and all on the backs of not confronting this question of anti-Semitism in a full-throated way. And what this the movie and the book, uh, the movie Origin and the book cast shows is that this caste system was very much at play in Nazi Germany. And it was used as a way to justify the destruction of, of um, you know, Jewish society in Germany. And I just think it's fascinating that we are in a moment where it's so complex because anti-Semitism is real and it absolutely exists, but it's also being weaponized to destroy black and brown initiatives around diversity, equity, and inclusion and around um, affirmative action and all of the things that we thought we had accomplished or made strides against after 2020 and the racial justice protests and and all of the the enthusiasm and pledges around, oh, we're going to, you know, support and fund and just get behind, you know, black and brown businesses and, and media and all of these things. And oof, boy, is that over. And also that it's so intentional, right? So you know, like the the when when the um, Nazis are looking literally at Jim Crow laws, or not Jim Crow laws. Actually, was it? Was, I think even earlier. It was, um, yeah, it was. It was kind of like the framing, the way that race yeah. was used. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that, like, we talk, and obviously, you are always born out of discussions about systemic racism, which many of our outlets, um, all of our outlets, contend with, um, in some capacity. And again, like the idea that this was all planned, right? This was literally a planned economic hierarchy, a planned way to reinforce power structures. In some ways, this is going to sound weird, but it's like a freeing discovery only Mm -hmm. because the same factors such as Martin Luther King Jr. traveling to India to study the nonviolent movement and Gandhi's rejection of caste. And, you know, many of the forces that in some ways Wilkerson discovers are working in tandem, but perhaps we didn't know, the solutions to must work in tandem, right? It's not a coincidence that, that MLK 
found this in India and it worked against the British, who in many ways are the originators of American slavery and the system as we know it, right? And the originators of the cruelty of colonization that created the systems of power as we know them that are clearly still reverberating today. So there's just something about that connectivity where if like you go back far enough, you know, finding people to blame is not always a bad thing. I agree with you. There is something weirdly freeing that it it actually has been like this diabolical <laughs> plot to to maintain these these systems of of white supremacy. But the question I think that 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 the movie and the book and everything lays out for us is like like how do we rectify this? How what is what is our responsibility and role in uh, dismantling this because it's so clearly unfair and unjust and evil. But what is the what's the current day? What is our responsibility and role in um, changing it? Yeah. yeah. Figure it out, Mitra. What is it? Hey, that's why I'm working yeah. with you. Um, I do think Black and Brown Unity, which you know, given some of the forces that you just laid out, affirmative action, backlash to DEI. Like, I think that this idea that they're trying to divide us is also intentional, right? So I do think, um, you know, me joining at the hip with you in all aspects of life is not accidental. Like, I really do think that demographics are on our side, both across the world and in the United States. And in many ways, the forces are very alive and well in trying to break down any semblance of unity among these groups that are a part of the power dynamic. All right, Mitra, let's wrap this. Let's wrap this puppy up. All right. What are you going to ask me? That's wildly inappropriate, but you've always <laughs> wanted to know. I was just going to say, what What are you going to do next week that's going to further your dreams? have the local news summit in Charleston, South Carolina, Monday through Wednesday. But I think you know this. I never go to a city and not organize something that's very URL. So um, in reaction to the, the boom in Charleston, a group of Black tour operators got together and said, we're going to tell our history our way. So on Monday, I'm taking those local news people and I'm saying, we don't need to stay in a hotel room. Come to the tour organized by URL with this Black historian who's taking us around. You know I have FOMO. You know I've just I like... Tell you about it. I'm just, you'll just, you'll just <laughs> sign um, the Amex bill when it comes to you, but I didn't tell you about it. But don't you like how I get approval for this live? <laughs> no, that sounds amazing. That sounds yeah. great. Well, good, 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 you? good. How about you? I think, you know, one of the things that I am trying to launch at Word, W-U-R-D, the radio station I run in Philly, is a new segment um, that's focused on Black history that's almost like a teach-in, kind of like what some of the Black academics did in Florida at churches when DeSantis was saying, you know, we're eliminating Black um, Black history in the schools, but doing it on air, like an on-air teach-in about Black history that connects what has happened historically to what's happening right now. And so I just feel like we've got to, we've got to have a better grasp of our historical memory so that we, um, because boy, does it seem like we're about to repeat 
the worst part of our history. And so I'm hoping that we can launch that during Black History Month and perhaps next week. Oh, lovely. I love all that you do for Black History Month. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that. And you know, I'll amplify it or at least retweet it to the two people <laughs> that are still on that platform. All right, my dear. Thank you.